0: Welcome back to Finding the Edge podcast. I'm Garrett Boyum, joined with Robert Fry. And today we have something cool for you guys and a first for the podcast. We ended up doing a video recording of a portion of the discussion that Robert and I had exploring some of the cool stuff that Robert has built in our studio and some of the cool analyses that he's done there. And so we thought it would be helpful for you guys to see Um, some of that stuff instead of just hearing us talk about it. So there'll be a link in the description for that. And then if you guys like that content and want us to do more of that, let us know and we can do more of that in future episodes. Additionally, one of the other things that Robert and I talk about today is a project that we have been working on with some other coaches in trying to create a resource for coaches to connect with one another and share ideas and to actually be able to interact on these ideas and so we have put together a discord server uh which is kind of like a slack uh channel or or whatnot but it's got a few more features than than slack does and so we're really excited to share this with you guys um because One of the things that we believe is that we learn better when we actually interact with one another. And so we wanted uh, another way to be able to interact with you guys. And so we put together this Discord server for you guys. And so we talk a little bit about that at the end. And so um, I hope you guys really enjoy our conversation today. Let's begin. What uh, projects and research questions have you been either more focusing on currently or um, have thought about and wanting to explore?
1: So yeah, recently um, I added another layer upon my Patreon page um, mm-hmm. where for $5 a month, you can view like some of my future content ideas for my YouTube channel um, as well as I continue to add and further improve my junior college database, so it's a great resource for any four-year coaches mm-hmm. to use to be able to look up, you know, uncommitted players, which is mm-hmm. absolutely great. Um But recently, I've been diving in to kind of how pitch effects slash stat cast has changed over the years in terms of pitch tracking. Um like, I uh, I went back and went into certain starts of, say, Greg Maddox, Johan Santana, Tim, Tim Linsicum, and saw, like, how their pitches were tracked compared to, you know, how pitches were tracked in the last two years. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: I find some interesting stuff, and I find that, you know, obviously I only looked at three specific pitchers. I plan to look at a year-by-year case in the future, but – it seems like less fastballs were thrown up in the zone compared to now. And how uh, I saw this discussion, where I think it was a FanGraphs article. By the way, please support them. They are in you know need of help to stay afloat in this time. So whatever you can chip mm-hmm. in, I highly recommend it. Um, but anyways, I think it was a FanGraphs article um, that mentioned you know the importance of a high Up in the zone, fourteen fastball, um, Mm -hmm. where it is it is such a big, big use in today's game. Whereas you know when pitch effect started in two thousand eight, that I guess the the ideology back then was you know throw it down and away, throw it in that zone, um, use your break, you know, kind of. Use your breaking pitch as well to kind of mirror it, or as as we kind of mention it now. Nowadays, it's called tunneling, but
2: mm-hmm.
1: we have this ideology where um, back then it was just throw everything low away. Now it's like now you can throw fastballs up, um, given a certain threshold of velocity and spin, but right. The 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 dynamic of pitch location has changed a lot, and I've only viewed, like I said, the only the only three pitchers I've viewed was Greg Maddox, two thousand eight season, um, Johan Santana's two thousand and nine season, I believe, or two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was his first year with the Mets, and I can't remember which which year that was. And then Tim Lincecum in two thousand and ten, and I just saw if that if anything like popped up differently and it was, yeah, there were less fastballs and there was more of a um, bigger uh, heat map towards pitching down and away.
0: So one thing that I wanted to jump in on the, uh, the kind of the mindset, at least is what I remember of like wide work down in the zone, like because balls down in the zone are more likely to be hit on the ground and more likely to stay in the park. And the mentality was pitches up in the zone, they get hit out. And so, you know, hitters, the hitters approach was hunt elevated fastballs and lay off the low stuff. And so that at least at the time, the uh man, I don't know if I want to call it early 2000s, but basically early 2000s to the mid um teens i suppose um that was the mentality was to to hunt fastballs up and pitchers were going to work low and away to try to induce more soft contact so i think that was the mentality um kind of back then and what has your research shown um or demonstrated with regards to that philosophy and um you know how hitters Um, dealt with that and how how effective were pitchers with that
1: yeah I I know definitely nowadays it it's not necessarily that at all I've I've done some Mm -hmm. kind of heat maps where uh, I display like exit velocities based on pitch location Mm -hmm. and nowadays it's middle middle and especially middle low so if you get a fastball low about at the knees like I think guys are hunting for that because that's where the highest exit velocity is sprayed. And it's, it's right around a hard hit ball. I think it's between 92 to 93 miles an hour of average exit velocity when contact is made in that location. How about
0: away? Do you know what the heat map is away? Um, um, actually.
1: I know it's not, it's not as big as it was. Were
0: uh, you able to pull it up out of curiosity?
1: I, I know I can't pull up mine really quickly, but I know you can pull it up quickly on Baseball Savant by zone, um, where you can kind of view uh, league by zone. So you can, you can do like group by uh, average exit velocity and select season. Actually, oh, I have I have my Savant data set uh, loaded already. So actually.
0: Dude, jump on Zoom because I want to look at this
2: all
1: right so i what i did was a basic search 2019 season batter average exit velocity um and then league and then you can go into Mm -hmm. graphs and i think um it's either zone profile or attack zone chart but Mm-hmm. Gives you a loading chart again. It's it takes a lot of time because uh, I, it's like two hundred thousand balls in play, and it's oh, yeah. creating that uh, average exit velocity chart. I hope it's the right one. Otherwise, we're going to take a minute to load the other one. But <laughs> I can show it. In, I can show it in our studio too, so it's not like it's.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to show that, well, that's loading. I mean, but here's the interesting thing to me. If you were looking at bat sensor data, your highest bat speed is going to be on balls low in the zone. At least this was when I was playing with um, Zep. And I don't remember if I had uh, recreated it with Blast, but I think I did. And so... Basically, what you generally see with a bat sensor is that pitches that are down, you're going to have a higher bat speed on and then pitches that are up are going to have a lower bat speed. But I don't know specifically in the middle of the zone, but like definitely down in the zone, I had the highest bat speed, at least off the tee. And then when I did up in the zone, like the top of the zone, my bat speed was, um, I want to say, significantly less, Um, maybe like five, potentially 10 miles an hour lower. Um but I don't don't quote me on the ten miles an hour. I think five is a safe, um safe one to to assume. But that'd be something to a good little research project. I wonder if uh do you ever follow um hitting performance lab? Yeah. Joey uh, Meyer. Sure,
1: Joey Meyer, yeah.
0: I mean, I wonder if he ever did a study like that, because he was he was all for doing little little mini studies like that.
1: Right. Um, let's see. So, uh, it's still loading. Um, right. because
0: I think the, the big thing with this that I want to know is the exit velocity on pitches away. So I think most of us would say that if you catch a ball, um, In the correct spot on the inside, you're going to hit it really hard. Um, And so we would assume that exit velocity is going to be higher, generally speaking, on the inner half of the plate. But the the theory was is that if you pitch low and away, you're going to have softer contact.
1: Yeah, so I will separate it by left-handed and right-handed
3: as well. So I'm going to run that
1: you need oh i need a double e. this
0: looks so different than spss
1: oh it's it's <laughs> way better i love it oh right I have, have you
0: used it. spss
1: yeah i have but it's it was only for a class so like after i was done with right. it like nah never again fair enough what <laughs> once, once i was what because i already was introduced to r and i'm like r can already do it
0: mm-hmm Right, and that's where I'm looking. I'm, I was hoping that the transfer from knowing SPSS to R, and now looking at it, I'm like, no. Nope, this is like I'm going to have to learn a whole language
1: <laughs> okay. to be able to
0: understand Let's R.
1: Let's see. I'll show you the stat cast that I, that's up right now.
0: Okay, okay. here we go.
1: This is, this is for both left-handed hitters and right-handed hitters, so... It looks like oh, see, like okay. middle middle down is like the hardest hit exit velocity average exit velocity uh, down at eighty eight point four yeah so I don't know if this is uh, this is uh, fueled by right handed hitters but again mm-hmm. once I once I do the uh... yeah
0: because if we can filter by um, handedness that would that would reveal some more interesting data but yeah they, I think that's uh, that's good for people to kind of understand. So I'm looking at it. And if we look at this, this is even interesting too. So if the middle section is, or the middle quadrants are um, actually, okay. So what's really interesting about this graphic that they have here um, from baseball savant is that you have the plate and the dotted line is the strike zone. And then they have like the inner heart of the plate, actually is – they have it broken down into uh, a three-by-three square. And then um, like the borderline areas of the strike zone are um, both in and out of the strike zone, which I think is really interesting.
1: Now I'm going to share – my plot that I made. Okay. Where now it gives you again heat maps, and I can go by certain coordinates. But you, the general idea is right there. Um, But yeah, like for left-handed hitters, this is just for left. Uh, can
0: you um, move your mouse where the left-handed batter is in this example? So, like, are we going from no, the pitcher's view or the catcher's view it's, here?
1: It's it's from the catcher's view here. Okay. So
0: So, okay, it's it's
1: looking like that, you know, as you go down, further down in the zone, the exit velocity increases, especially, you know, here in this middle to low middle area. And then Mm -hmm. go a little bit inside, um, exit velocity still increases, but then it drops a little bit. Whereas here in this quarter, the... um, average exit velocity is somewhere between 82 to 85 miles an hour um mm-hmm. but down in the middle it is very very strong like i said it was 92 to 93 um
2: mm-hmm.
1: average exit velocity so definitely in 2019 at least where the you should hit the ball hardest is low middle so low at at the knees which i found pretty surprising i thought you know it's got to be middle up but again you bring up that point where bat speed is at its greatest supposedly when you're down in the zone compared to up in the zone so that could play a factor
0: uh keep that up for a second the i mean I, i would say too at least i think it's relatively verifiable that the uh that the bat speed is is um quicker down in the zone. Um, I think too, though, like if you were to think about it from a physics standpoint, you allowing the um, weight and inertia of the bat, like just works with, with you. If you're working down in the zone, whereas if you're hitting a ball up in the zone, you actually have to fight gravity, the inertia of the bat and the direction that the bats wanting to travel. You have to fight that a little bit more. And that would at least be my theory as to why, bat speed is a little bit slower um up in the zone. And but what you see though here to me which is interesting is that the up and in seems to be also like a really tough spot for hitters, but I would also assume we would have to look at a heat map for um called strikes. I would also assume though that getting called strikes up and in is tough as well. I mean, you're yeah, you're looking at like probably average velocity of maybe 75 if you start working in, in towards the middle of the plate a little bit. Right. So you're looking yep. that upper quadrant, probably about 75 exit velo. Yeah. Um, to me, that's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if there's any philosophies or thoughts about going up and in on guys, but yeah, yeah, I do I think, think that.
1: It is, it is super interesting because I know like, Me as a left handed hitter growing up, my, Mm -hmm. I guess my hot zone was um, up and in. Like I would, I would really sting on balls up and in because I was focused, you know what? Just keep, when I was batting, you know, I was like, okay, if it's towards my elbow, if Mm -hmm. the ball's coming in towards my elbow, like attack. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's where my greatest success was. And then, but then I would say like junior and, junior and senior year at high school, definitely middle down was definitely my, my hot zone because not only would allow me to hit the ball hard, but hit the ball hard to all fields Mm -hmm.
3: rather than Mm -hmm. just
1: pulling it. But again, like pulling it is your best option, but given, you know, if we talk about, um, ecological approach, given the affordances that I had, sometimes the best option wouldn't be to pull the baseball. It would be to hit it the other way.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. With pitches that are down or it gives you more affordances, whereas pitches up and in the number of affordances is potentially quite a bit fewer. Yeah. It's it's more limited
1: because, you know, based on that. And again, like I didn't have, I didn't have kind of like this world-class bat speed. So, my best mm-hmm. affordance was to just try to try to beat the ball to that up and in zone and have your have my bat out as much as possible to be able to pull it otherwise i'd be hitting a weak pop fly to the opposite field
2: mm mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm.
1: rather than yeah you know middle down i can i can still hit the ball pretty hard but i can hit it either gap or you know i still have that affordance to be able to pull it down the line
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have righties by chance too? Is it yeah. that hard to pull pull righty data? I can. Pull I'm just data. curious if there's any any difference between the those two.
3: Let me change the
2: title
3: <laughs> and be like, "Oh no, this this ain't it." All right, so I will get rid of this screen and then. And this pulls up.
1: I would, uh, my first guess without looking at it off the top of my head would be, Mm -hmm. it's about the same,
0: but. Yeah, it looks pretty, pretty much the same. Yeah. I was just curious if there was a slight difference, but I think what's really cool. Well, actually, let's look at like, I wonder if the averages are any different, but like, I mean, it could just to be the fact that there's a greater sample size. Yeah. um, That's right. For right handers versus lefties.
1: That's what I was alluding to. But uh, yeah, it looks like, you know, down, middle down, um, middle down is about the same it looks like a little bit harder in exit velocity with uh, more 93s um, and it looks like especially compared to left-handed hitters if you go down and in right you're still singing the ball pretty hard um, mm-hmm. I think for lefties down and in it was like roughly um you know 85 86 whereas you go a little bit in you're still up in the upper eighties pushing 90 in certain mm-hmm. quadrants. Um. But what is also interesting is it stays 93, 93, 93, 93, 94, you know, middle, middle right here. But then
0: – And it's slightly away too, at least within your zone. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that is a little bit counterintuitive, especially from the pitching side of things. Like the the focus oftentimes for pitchers is to work away to hitters. But – like keep like cuz this is why i find this both graphs interesting is that the the hot zone so to speak of exit velocity basically trends in a diagonal line across the zone um from like corner to corner i mean it's slightly pulled out or it's slightly biased towards um away from the hitter and so to me that says that pitches there are a little bit more out over the plate the the batter is able to allow their arms to work slightly away from themselves. Um, and it allows them to actually hit the ball harder when um, they're not fo- forced to bring their hands in and be really close and tight to their body. So I feel like that's a little bit counterintuitive, you know, from a pitching standpoint, if you're working away to a guy, that's not necessarily um, going to, automatically induce um lower batted ball contact or weaker batted ball contact um i mean because because really we're we're the lowest um for for um exit velocity robert as you're doing that it looked like it was like the bottom corner of like literally low in a does have like that's like a, almost a 10 mile an hour um difference between like the peak um, and so, but you really have to like hit the yeah, outside you corner, You
1: really have to dot that corner consistently and able to limit that.
0: And to the question becomes, how much are you going to get that for a strike being on the edge of the strike zone? I think that's where it becomes more of a difficult thing for pitchers, um, is to, is the fact that if that's really where you're trying to live, you may, um, your, your ball strike percentage may be Get hurt a little bit with that, and then that may make you more susceptible to having to work in the middle of the zone, where that ends up hurting you. Ooh, see, this is this is what we're talking about here. Yeah, so, should do like the driveline R and D podcast, and actually just like record video of us <laughs> talking. But yeah,
1: because I mean, you can you can do this kind of stuff in R, so that's that's why. Mm-hmm. That's why you can do that and be able to... Plug for R Studios. <laughs> yeah, plug for R Studio. Like, please use R. You can do this pretty quickly. Um, if you have a Savant data set, you can just do this just as quick as possible. Uh, obviously, it'll take a little bit more time because um, this time it's basically filtering through every pitch that was not swung at which is more frequent than every pitch that was swung at. Yes, mm-hmm. it takes time, but you know, the other advantage is you can save these plots or you can save this code. And um, there's this mm. format called R Markdown where um, it'll basically run through these code blocks for you, if you will. And, have these plots just saved ready to go where you can do analysis such as, you know, it looks like for right-handed hitters, it's a diagonal where you go up in the zone of right-handed hitters, you know, these, they're, they're letting their arms be able to extend and be able to drive the ball. Now, the other interesting thing with that, before we go into the called strike plot is, you know, where are they hitting the ball directionally? Where are they, Mm. you know, are they hitting it hard the other way? Are they hitting it, um hard to the pull side um so these these are these are good questions to ask definitely
0: can you still pull up the uh right-handed hitters plot before the other one populates
1: yeah
3: or can
0: i so i'm curious about the up and away exit velo because i've seen guys hit balls hard that're up and away so like um it just seems like those are easier yeah, so, um, yeah, kind of working that into like mid up and away. So like that top third. Yeah, so I mean right those. I mean that's ninety, ninety two there. If you keep going towards the outside of the zone, really, you're only dropping off by. And this is averages, right? These are yes. average yes. exit velos for those plots. So some of them are going to be higher. Too. I mean that. That to me tells you if you miss up and away, like you can get, you can get kind of burned pretty bad.
1: Burn. Yeah, pretty badly. Um, and yeah, it's it is rough too because you're not sure if, um.
0: So basically, looking at that plot, though, like. I wouldn't show a picture of that plot because it's not helpful. Like, hey man, there's only two spots of the zone that you're not going to get hard, hit hard in, and this is this is just t- only talking about pitches that are hit. So it has nothing to do with like your pitch and how your pitch, um, your pitches' uh, contact or exit velo is based upon your pitches. So. It's probably not that helpful of a graph for pitchers and to build a pitching philosophy off of potentially. Right.
1: But it it tells more of well, if you do miss, you're going to get stung. That's I think that's,
0: that's Depending a- upon depending upon your pitch movement, right? Because I mean that's right. and your spin rate and all your all that sort of stuff. That's going to probably play a greater factor into um your contact or your hard hit or weak contact rate. Is probably going to be more to do with that than if that's you know based upon that graphic that we just looked at.
1: So on based on this graphic where you said you Mm -hmm. know dotting that outside corner, the chance that it's going to be a called strike is roughly sixty five point seven percent. So if you throw that ball, if you throw that pitch, and you dot the outside corner,
0: is it sixty five or six six point five percent? No, it's it's
1: so with that e to the negative one, it's moving it over. Oh, gotcha. Probably. So gotcha. it's roughly like sixty five point seven, so sixty six percent. So if you throw that, so you'll if you throw that, if you dot that corner ten times, you're going to get a strike six, maybe seven times out of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Where you know, so it does play big because. Yes, you are limiting exit velocity, but when they do swing, but if they don't swing, you're only getting a strike seven out of 10 times.
0: That's not bad, though, actually. That's. That- I wonder, are there other parts of the zone? Because I suppose it's just a comparison. So like what other parts of the zone, like if we were to go up and in, because actually that was where I was more curious. was like, because it seems like for a lot of hitters, that's where their cold zone is, is up and in. But what's the probability of you getting a called strike and up and in part of the zone?
1: yeah so it looks like if you really dot the up and in corner, you're gonna get a sixteen percent chance of a strike and then, as you go down a little bit more, I mean the max is like fifty percent um thirty forty fifty percent if you go up mm-hmm. in this upper quadrant here, yeah that doesn't seem anything higher than fifty percent i mean if you go around here, but that's
0: that's yeah, that's a, little, that's bit a little bit better like i mean go go towards like so if we were to if you were to draw, break this into thirds, kind of like the uh, the um, exit velo graphic. That yeah. So like if you get, if you hit right there, that's like an eighty. That's actually not bad either. Eighty-eight percent chance if you were able to work more in that part of the zone. Because I still think if, are you still able to pull up the uh, the hitting one?
3: Yeah, I can do that.
0: Well, I mean, because that's still decent. Okay, so if you're trying to map these two together, it looks like, too, you, you can kind of work work in that same area there. I mean, that's 84, and if you were to stay in more of the lighter yellow, that allows you to bring it down, too, a little bit, and those are probably going to give you a higher strike percentage. If you were to come in just a little bit more...
1: Yeah, so you're obviously in in terms of trade offs. You're trading what looks like you're trading um, on contact eight miles more of um, exit velocity compared to you're trading what was it like forty forty percent of a called strike if they don't swing.
0: Hmm. Well, I too like based upon what I've seen just from game footage this seems to be already a counter or uh, an intuitive, not a counterintuitive, but an intuitive strategy that pitchers have successfully used in the past. I mean, it seems, it seems as though, and sometimes too, it's not even intentional. Like they were trying to hit a location, maybe low and away, and they missed up and in and you and you get guys to just swing through that. And so, I mean, even too, when we're talking with Caleb and um, I was mentioning uh, Eddie Rosario the flare that he hit over the infield that I was talking about was an up and in pitch. And so the exit velo on that would, would square with what you're seeing here. Um, it's just a very hard pitch to, for a hitter to do much with. Um, and I don't know, too. The question is, is like, to take this example really extreme, is if a pitcher developed um, the ability to throw there frequently would that, um, would they get better results by doing that or would hitters adapt and become, become better at hitting that pitch?
1: Yeah, now that's yeah. Cause that, that brings a great question. Now, if I feel like for the, in terms of like mover advantage, things along those lines, mm-hmm. I feel like that the first people that actually employ that strategy will be able to, uh, get you know lesser, lesser hard contact, but then once the next wave of people that do that, uh, hitters will be able to adapt.
0: Mm-hmm. Or you'll see some that do. See, this is where I'm kind of curious because, like, Altuve seems to be able to hit the ball well up in the zone relative to other hitters because it seems as though, and it'd be interesting to see what uh, his called strike percentage is relative to and this would you'd have to do a comparison relative to the average right-handed hitter I would assume that El Tuve gets more called strikes up in the zone than other hitters um, just simply due to his size and how umpires um, set up
1: like how we talked about on a previous podcast with Nick where we said how like the umpire's their mask um, or their mm-hmm. the spot in between their eyes is that they kind of use that as the top of their strike zone.
0: Mm-hmm. And I was talking to one of my buddies who is also an umpire, but he uh, umpires at a lower level, like with middle schoolers and for him, he, he said he'll set his eyes at the top of the strike zone. And for him though, he does like a very uh, he sticks with more of the traditional strike zone, you know, like, basically nipples to knees and so he'll he'll set up a little bit higher so his strike zone obviously is going to be a little bit higher than the than probably a professional or college strike zone um but i don't know that's just a a thought that i had
1: Hmm. here we go we we got this is interesting
0: this yeah
3: this, this brings up Can't be reached. What do you mean it can't be reached? (laughs) I'm not running the redo online. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay. We'll just run this again, redo it. Oh boy. Okay. Well, we're going to open this in a new window.
1: Did I lose my internet connection? Like, what's going on here?
0: You didn't lose your internet connection because we're still talking. Did your server go down?
1: That might be it. Uh,
0: Or not go down, but did you get disconnected from your SQL server?
3: That could be it, but interesting. Um.
0: I'm curious what the average person's, do you ever able to pull the average strike zone?
1: like in terms of like top of the strike zone to bottom of the strike zone
0: yeah for an average right-handed hitter like so if you were to compare l 2 to the to the average and then I suppose we'd have to run like a t-test would we run a t-test to see if the if those if his strike zone is significantly different than everybody else's well the is thing is with or? this
1: with this, mm-hmm. this strike zone if you can see the coordinates here um this is not indicative of Jose Altuve's strike zone. This is the average um average height and um side to side for a average right handed hitter, if that makes sense. Yep. So Altuve's it looks like the top of his strike, strike zone is roughly you know, at like three feet. Mm-hmm. Compared to And it's strike, you know, the bottom of the strike zone is lower. Um I know in so mm. they do have those those coordinates for every player. Um, gotcha. Those coordinates are generated for every player as soon as they're drafted. So you can, hmm. theoretically, like, if you have proper strike zone coordinates for, say, um, Alec Bomb. Um, I'm trying to think some recent hitters that was drafted. Um off the top of my head i can't I can't think off the top of my head, but uh, I know Alec Bond was drafted within the last two years um other guys like Riley Green, if you have they will automatically have their top and bottom of strike zone mm-hmm. where then if you have the proper pitch coordinates of said player mm-hmm. um you can be able to see you know, how called strikes look compared to the rest of, say, MLB or how they okay. you know, how they, if you have more data like exit velocity, how they how they hit the ball hard and what spots compared to, you know, the league average for left-handed hitters mm-hmm. or how frequently is that is a pitch thrown in those coordinates compared to the league average of those coordinates, but again that's the thing is though the problem with that is that information is more than likely proprietary because yes you can pull um, minor league pitch coordinates, but they are so different compared to major league pitch coordinates hmm. so I sure, that so I'm sure that is proprietary is what i'm saying um mm-hmm. the re- i think behind that is stat statcast they do have like the public data set whereas minor league it is just scripted to just um mlb game day info um, mm-hmm. so like if you ever do like a live stats of a major league game that's essentially what mlb game day is mm-hmm. where uh it's a little bit harder mm-hmm. to be able to because coordinates are set up manually by either I think track man stringers or whatever whatever um whatever like pitch tracking software that the minor league team uses that's manually set up by that track man stringer on that day, so it could actually vary mm-hmm. by game even where of what the pitch coordinates, and then um the pitch coordinates are not necessarily measured. In a certain measurement, it could be, I mean, it could be from what I've seen, it could be like uh, a centimeter. It's measured in centimeters, but then you have to do this whole different formula that I'm not sure how to figure out where you don't necessarily know.
3: Well, where is it?
0: So it's measured in centimeters, I mean the raw data is measured in centimeters and then it needs to get converted to whatever the output is that you want to look at it in. Right. So like the, if the not, strike zone is measured in inches then you would need to convert it to inches to be able to figure out where
1: Yes and no. So where to could, plot it? Yeah, so it could be in centimeters but then if you convert it to say feet what the strike zone mm-hmm. is measured in then you won't get that exact answer because there's some Trickiness with the coordinates because it's so varied going from various systems to various calibrations of said systems. Um, you know, whereas at the major league level, since everybody has stat cast, that's calibrated and measured the same exact way for all 30 teams. Whereas once you triple Mm -hmm. down in the minor leagues, I mean, it won't even be the same at the AAA level. And then once you trickle down even further to, say, rookie level, you know, that's where it's, it'll get really tricky to kind of plot, and measure those strike zone coordinates and p- to be able to convert it into, say, stat cast coordinates.
0: Gotcha. Well, cool. Shall we transition a little bit? I know we've, we went really deep down the, uh,
1: <laughs> deep down the radical. Uh, I like it.
0: But is there anything too that you would want to, you know, wrap up on, on this topic of what we were looking at in R, um, and and uh, exit velocity based upon um, pitch location?
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, from going back to our discussion, it it seems like that exit velocity is greater, increasing when you throw further down in the zone, and again, it could be from that um scenario that you brought up where bat speed seems to be greater because there's less um, gravity acting upon it when a ball is down in the zone than say when a ball is up in the zone.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, what do we want to transition to? <laughs> I feel like we should have at least a eco eco D part. To this, and then a uh, practical element um, combined with yeah, that. we
1: can we can go into the eco ecological part.
0: I mean, because too, like, I mean, that graph that you were showing uh, about exit velocity, because to me, that's that's one of the that's more results or performance based. Um, right. When instead of looking at mechanics or whatever, this is more of a performance metric. Um and, and with that I guess the question becomes okay that's true in general that's why I was saying before like this graph is not that useful to a pitcher because this is just generally true and it just basically says to me that hitters can hit the majority of the zone hard so, I mean that's that's just basically what that graph showed and it's like well okay that just tells me that you know, the sky is blue, so to speak. Like that's just a given now. You know, because right. if you can, if if a hitter can cover that much of the zone in terms of hard contact, then that just becomes a given. It doesn't mean that you should never pitch to any parts of those those zones, um, or pitch down or whatever, because that's that's not helpful. That you're only limited to two small sections of the zone. So then it becomes a, a question of okay, then how is weak contact induced and how do we either get weak contact or get essentially, how do you get batters out? And so to me, then it becomes more about pitch movement and, um, you know, I guess more pitch movement and pitch speed. And then in my head, I'm thinking, well, how do right handers fare against left handers? Like, how does that that exit velocity look like when a left-hander is throwing basically the pitch looks like it's coming in on you or going to hit you if they're going to hit the inside part of the zone and in general too like a lefty even if it ends up middle middle it will look like it's coming at you a little bit and so it's going to even more so look like it's going to hit you if he's going to hit that inside part of the plate and so then if that's the case does that affect exit velocity uh, left-handed inside fastball, um, type of a thing, and so from a perception standpoint, the hitter's perception of the the angle that the ball is coming in—you know—how does that affect their um, performance outcomes?
1: Yeah, I'm. I remember doing a bit of a study on it. It was just for left-handed hitters, but a bit of a mm. study a while back ago. I can't remember when, but I. Posted kind of a uh, thread about it on Twitter. Anyways, Mm -hmm. I saw that it seems like hitters nowadays are being uh, trained a little bit more to prepare for movement to Mm -hmm. optimize contact, whereas it kind of drops once you reach a certain movement threshold. So I feel like the thing is with that is if you want to create movement, it's kind of like, um, I can't think of the terminology but where hitters they'll reach a certain peak where okay if the movement's at this certain rpm um mm-hmm. or not rpm but uh this kind of this kind of movement you can still make great contact but then once movement increases you'll you'll start to see a drop in that So once part.
0: like h h break or v break hits a certain threshold then then you'll start to see a, like a drop off in hard hit contact
1: correct so it's basically once obviously once you increase in movement um ex- hard contact increases up to a certain extent where then once mm. you increase in movement um hard contact seems to uh weaken and i've seen that from my time in modeling and modeling in terms of, you know, predicting, you know, batted ball outcomes, things of that nature, it seems like that vertical movement has more of a uh, importance or more of a factor in terms of inducing weak contact than does uh, horizontal movement.
0: Mm-hmm. Which I wonder too if that, yeah. What which I find stupid.
1: I find super interesting because I always thought, well, you know, if you want to throw a a slider, you know, just throw it on one side of the zone and have it land on the other side. But Hmm. it seems like it's more important to be able to say, throw it on one side of the zone, but then, or throw it on one side of the zone in say the middle third of the plate, but then have it end on, you know, just below the bottom third of the plate.
0: Right. Well, and two, if you think about it, the barrel is works more in the horizontal axis. But if you're talking about like vertical bat angle, that may be able to account for like let's say your pitch moves in a diagonal like you were talking about, like well, if you have more vertical bat angle, then you may be able to catch it um, catch the ball with due to that angle. But if we're just thinking about like straight across horizontal Uh, movement well if the barrel is able to cover the entire plate it's still going to run into the barrel you know it's easier to 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 have the the barrel if you if you match plane with the pitch um there's more barrel there to cover that but it's much harder um because it's not a like to to use an example it's not a cricket racket um where the the width of the or the width of the surface area to contact the ball is much larger. It's better designed to hit pitches that move in the um, vertical axis than a baseball bat, which has a much smaller uh, contact surface. That's, that's just me uh, hypothesizing.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, and then while you were hypothesizing, I was also hypothesizing where, Um, If you do have a ton of vertical movement, you know, let's say a batter may be late on the pitch, but since you have so much vertical movement, if there was less vertical movement, maybe you wouldn't hit the barrel. But since there's more vertical movement, the barrel is more likely to be contacted with where it is more of an accidental contact in terms of barrel, um, in terms of barrel contact. Whereas, you know, if someone's really on the pitch, that's great barrel contact. but you know, if they're so late on the pitch, but hey, since there's so much movement on that slider, the ball just so happened to hit the barrel and you got hard contact out of it.
2: hmm
0: Yeah. I mean, because I think this is the interesting thing of, at least when I watch film, the the majority of time I see, like, pitches that guys are early on, they're going to swing over, generally speaking. Um especially off-speed pitches like that have some vertical break to them, they tend to swing over them. And then fastballs, especially ones with high spin, um, but just it seems like fastballs in general, guys seem to be slightly under them. And so I wonder, and this is why, too, what Caleb said, generally speaking, seemed to make sense, or what other people have talked about, I think Brock has talked about on the podcast before, about missing under the ball, at least when we're talking about sliders and maybe two curveballs, but it definitely seemed like slider was the one where people had the most anecdotal success. Is is like with off speed pitches, it's like, okay, try to miss under them. And then with fastballs, the whole I the whole reason why this was a um like a a moniker or uh so ubiquitous in baseball for a time was to swing down on the ball and hit the top half was because of the fact that the majority of hitters on fastballs are slightly under the ball that allowed them to adjust and actually hit the ball square um, simply because of the fact that fastballs from a visual standpoint tend to not drop as much as we anticipate.
1: Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's, and it, it leads to kind of this, this, um, this kind of cue standpoint where you're saying, okay, I got to hit the top of the baseball because, you know, you may think you're trying to hit the top of the baseball, but really your bat path is correcting for, um, what you think you might be doing. Cause I know in the case for me, when I played was, I was always told hit the top half of the baseball, but that never worked for me because whenever mm-hmm. I would try to focus on hitting the top half of the baseball, I'd get under it. So I was trying to focus on hitting, you know, hitting the ball square because somehow that, that would that mm-hmm. would make more sense because I was whatever, whenever someone would say hit the top half of the baseball, I'd actually hit the bottom half or, you know, really.
0: or the- Or it was the fact that like, you know, too, because we were so focused on swinging down on the ball, the way that we contacted it, it might have been the top half. But how we induced spin on it, we created too much spin or backspin that it created a pop up because of how we contacted the ball. And but, anyways, this this comes back to what you were talking about, and you know, what we've talked about previously here. And I'm glad you brought it up so we can get Eco D wrapped in here somehow. Um, is that your intention, right? You had to shift your intention from hitting the top half to hitting the ball square. That's a different intention than uh, hitting the top half. And that produced better results for you. And I think, too, the other component that you are, you're mentioning, too, with like hitting the top half, like this isn't for everybody because it, it all depends on how your system is, is coordinating movement and calibrated to hitting the ball. And where the ball is in relationship to, or how your body understands where the ball is in relationship to you. And so, to me, that speaks to the importance of calibration and intention, and that it's going to be unique for each player. Um, And this is why, too, for me, the feedback that you want to have when you're as a hitter is you want to be understanding... On your swings and misses or swings and miss hits is where your where the ball was in relationship to your bat on that particular swing um, I wouldn't think too much about it if you ended up scoring it up because I think that's I've said before in my own personal experience once you get calibrated and your system recalibrates to where the ball is, you overthinking that will just mess up your ability to hit the ball. So if you're doing, if you're, if you're actually properly calibrated, then just let it ride. Don't, don't even worry about it. But for, for balls that are slightly miss hit, whether that's a fall ball or a complete swing and miss, you want to understand where was that ball in relationship to your barrel so that you can make an adjustment.
1: Correct. Yeah. Cause uh, like Caleb mentioned in the uh, previous podcast, with some of his hitters, you know, his saying, you know, focus on, you know, hit a pop up to center field. And that's how mm-hmm. his um, calibration was corrected. Um, but in that, in that sense, like, yeah, because you don't, you don't want to overthink when you're at the plate. If you do, then you're going to mm-hmm. say, okay, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. Whereas I feel like the max amount of things you can focus upon is just one. Because if you try to focus on two or three things at a time, then you might get the first part right, but then part two and part three are way off because you're so focused on getting that first intention right. And because the pitch comes in so fast, you have to react so fast, you cannot do more than one thing at once to be able to react in that time. And if you can, by all means, like you're a great athlete, but that's highly, highly, highly unlikely
0: yeah I think at most maximum a guy can handle is two, but I mean that's really pushing it, you know, and that's that's too where why I think externally focused um or goal directed intentions tend to be more effective than internal or process um or mechanically driven um cues so to speak or focuses or intentions. So, Robert, do you want to wrap up on kind of other projects that we've kind of been working on and other things that we've been kind of looking into?
1: Yeah. So there's another project that I've been working on on the college side. Um, I'm working on creating kind of this data set of tournament appearances, um, college World Series appearances, college World Series finals, college World Series wins um types of tournament appearance so either they got in with the conference tournament or an at large bid and i'm seeing like if there's any relationship to figure out okay what kind of metrics are important to getting to the tournament what kind of metrics mm-hmm. are getting or important to getting to the college world series and i mean this is at all division 1 division 2 and division 3 levels so it's not just focus mm-hmm. on division 1 so i think what what i want to look at in the future is um, is seeing you know does say does slugging percentage or does on base percentage play more of a factor or does you know putting them together as OPS does that play more of a factor Does some of the more advanced metrics like WOBA does that play a factor And then on the pitching side, mm-hmm. um, does striking out way more batters than you walk play a bigger factor? Is it just striking out a bunch of guys who cares about walks? play a bigger factor is um, limiting hits a bigger factor. Now we don't have the data such as, you know, hard contact, but um, mm-hmm. we can kind of build into that kind of stuff where we can ask those kind of questions are does, you know, allowing a bunch of walks and hits in an inning, does that play a factor? And so mm-hmm. I want to, that's that's the project that I'm working on. Of I've built out division one. Um, I'm halfway done with division two of getting that information of tournament appearance by each team, what type of tournament appearance it is, because then we could, in the future, model and be able to say not only for winning ter- you know winning conference tournaments, but then you can build a model and say based on this data, we have a good chance of becoming an at large bid. And given our mm. given mm. our type of, you know, type of play that we have, we have a good chance of advancing far in the tournament.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. No, that sounds really cool because as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, okay, once you have that and you have kind of, hey, these are our metrics, then the question becomes, how do we train for that? Or like, yeah. how do we execute upon these things? And that's where I think an ecological approach, um, can play a big role in developing that and helping teams and players achieve those goals. Cause it's one thing to be like, okay, I want to hit 350 with, you know, um, 50 RBIs and, you know, slug. I don't know. What's like, is it slug six or 800? Is that good? I don't know what a good... Yeah, that's really good. That's a really good... Right. That's where I'm like, I don't want to overshoot it because I'm thinking like 500 is probably like good for a college athlete, right? Correct. Yeah. So I didn't want to undershoot it and be like 500 and that that not being (laughs) significant. (laughs) But, um, you know, and then, then the question becomes, okay, how do we develop that? And I think an ecological approach really helps will be is the thing that can bridge that gap between the analytics to the player development and the performance on the field. Um, so that's once you kind of get some of that data in, that would be cool to like start talking about laying that out of okay, here here are the, the factors that play a role in getting you to a college world series or a regional bid, etc. And then because from my understanding of, of data that's already out there, the difference between a – was if you're in the Super Regional to, or to um, the College World Series, there's not a big difference, um, significant difference in terms of statistics. Um, the stats that got you there aren't that different from the stats that are in the – that get you to the College World Series. But there is a significant uh, jump from – Uh, what in the regular season stats to what it takes to get you into a regional. So, um, but that'd be fun to sit down and once you get uh, some of that preliminary data, um, or once you get that data to actually start talking about that. Absolutely. Um, um, Two, I guess one of the projects that um, I guess we've been collaborating on is and this was kind of born out of um to and what uh Joel I believe it's Credo, um he had put together a chat group, and I know there's there's several group chats out there um and so I was collaborating with him and yourself in creating what a discord server to um essentially allow for good conversation and discussion on various topics. And have it be a little bit more organized and um, have the ability for people to search um, back through the content to actually be able to find different components of the the discussion in addition to sharing videos and files and all that sort of stuff. And so um, that's something that uh, we've put together and then we'll probably be doing weekly discussion topics um, to to kind of facilitate good discussion within there uh, for people who are wanting to either talk more about the ideas and the concepts that we talk about on this podcast or, you know, um, anything else to do with baseball.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I'm super excited about that. Um, We have so many different topics. My, my main focus will be on kind of the analytics side, um, kind of learning more about it, um, learning some research stuff, with books, research papers, projects, so on and so forth. But there's a ton more in in just not just analytics, but we're talking um, kind of hit you know all aspects of the game: hitting, base running, fielding, uh, pitching, um, you know, the ecological approach, uh, movement, strength and conditioning. Like it's whatever. If it's, if it has been discussed at least once in a baseball sense, it's probably in there.
0: Well, and two, I mean, the whole purpose of it is to be this one collective resource. And so it's going to be user driven in terms of content. Um, But. And just kind of this hub where all this different information can be for people and coaches to access, but also to discuss, because I think the biggest way to learn is through discussion with other people. And so that's kind of the the hope um, is to be this place where we can potentially begin to start tying in all these different ideas and concepts together and so that it's not just all compartmentalized, because at the end of the day, the game of baseball is not just hitting, it's not just pitching, it's a culmination of all these different um, aspects. And so we we just like when it comes to an ecological approach and how we view an athlete, we want to not just view individual component parts of either the athlete's movements or just the environment or whatever. We want to look at the whole system and the interactions between all of that. And so That's really kind of my hope for the big term goal and vision of the server is to actually begin to get all this information into one area and aspect um, for people to be able to interact with. And then from there, being able to pull it all together into uh, one overarching cohesive um, methodology um, or philosophy or process process. Um very similar to what uh there's a paper out there by Paul Glazier um called Towards a Grand Unifying Theory. So I mean, in my in my head, that's uh, kind of the utopic vision for the server.
1: Absolutely. And I I I cannot wait for it. It's gonna be a ton of fun, very very insightful, and that's I think that's that's probably the one of the biggest things that I want to be out of it because I am excited to learn more about more than just analytics, to be able to learn more about hitting philosophies, pitching philosophies, fielding, running, you know, all, all of that stuff. And I, I'm super interested to learn more.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, I'm interested to see where this goes and what this can be. Um, so if you guys are interested in it, feel free to reach out to either one of us and we'll send you a link. If you want to join and participate in the discussion and contribute to, uh, this baseball resource. Um, yeah, just shoot us a DM. Um, you can contact me at G B O Y U M zero one, um, on Twitter. Um, and so, yeah, uh, where can where can people follow you, Robert, and or DM you at?
1: Uh, do you, my DMs are open at at robertfry40, 40, R-O-B-E-R-T-F-R-E-Y 40.
0: Nice. All right. Well, I guess that's kind of all the stuff that I wanted to cover today. Is there anything else that you want to cover before we wrap? No,
1: this has been a great conversation, Garrett.
0: Well, guys, thanks for listening, and we'll... Talk at you next time.